Lord, we love you. You are glorious and magnificent. You are holy. And the truth is, Lord, we have always lived in a culture, regardless of when it began, that hated you. And this culture despises you. And I I firmly believe that one of the most effective attacks of the enemy is to dull our minds and our hearts toward your holiness. So God, thank you for your holiness. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're taking a small break from our study in Luke, primarily because I need a little bit of a break from it. My head explodes sometimes when I'm studying the same thing over and over and over again. But uh, So we're, we'll get back on that next week. But I thought this might be a good time because of the weekend to do a topical study. I don't do these very often. We typically do books. But occasionally a topical study is a good thing. So this is called A Grateful Heart. And uh, we're just going to walk through about thankfulness, especially in a culture that uh, is basically unthankful about all things. So I hope this ministers to you, uh, and we'll just we'll get moving here. Many of us, if not all of us, observe Thanksgiving in some form or another this, this weekend, and, and Rich uh, drew your attention to that, and sometimes it's wonderful, sometimes it's not. If you're extremely fortunate and blessed, you were with family and friends. If you were not so blessed, then you spent it in another way. Um, it's a good time for catching up with people's lives. And it's a good time to establish a tradition if you don't already have one. <clears throat> we begin to share these things. And some of the things we share can be uh, surprising. You may discover that a very small kindness, not necessarily from you, but in this person's testimony, a very small kindness that happened many years ago had an incredibly powerful impact on their lives. Something that you you may have said, or you may have done, or they may have seen you do, or someone else, and it impacted them. Things like that happen. And that having been said, it just seems to me thankfulness in general has fallen out of style. <clears throat> so our, for our study this morning, we are going to spend some time in the 16th chapter of the Old Testament book of First Chronicles. This is on your scripture sheet. However, in order to get there, we first have to go to 2 Samuel, chapter 6, 1 through 6, and that is also on your scripture sheet, so you can follow along. By the way, never let the scripture sheets discourage you from bringing your Bible. Never, never let that happen. The truth is, if we were sure that most of you had your Bibles available and ready, we would probably do things a little bit differently because we have to get all this on our scripture sheet. but So don't let that discourage you from bringing your Bible. <clears throat> We're doing it mainly for convenience and for those maybe who are not accustomed to having a Bible. So that's <clears throat> a little commercial. Um, <clears throat> so in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we touched upon this scripture last Sunday night at Rock, which, by the way, is rely on Christ completely. That's what that stands for. We've been going through First uh, and Second Samuel and the life of David. And we just touched upon this. We didn't really study it too much, but we touched upon it. But ironically, in thankfulness, this plays a very important role. And I hope you'll hope that stuff will connect for us this morning. A little background here. The Philistines, which, you know, Goliath belonged to those guys. So there's this arch enemy here, right? So the Philistines, who had captured the ark 
and as a result suffered greatly at the hands of God, returned the ark to the land of Israel. They didn't want it any longer. They sent it to the home of Abinadab and his son Eleazar, Uzzah and Ohio, not Ohio, Ohio. And by the way, I'm horrible with these names, so if you want to make other ones up, that's fine with me. Ohio, Ohio, oh, where it remained for many years. So the Philistines said, we do not want this any longer. Here's the funny thing about righteousness. If you put the righteousness in the midst of sin, it's horrible. Not righteousness, but what happens. If you put righteousness in the midst of obedience, it's wonderful. So the Philistines thought there was power in the ark. It wasn't. It's power in God. So they'd had enough of this. And so they sent it back to this house in the, house, in the home of Benadab. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was the dwelling place of God. This was not merely an ornate treasure chest with ancient relics in it. It's still viewed that way today, by the way, by most of the people. Nor was it a mythical portal into heaven, like a science fiction movie, to tap the powers of God. It was the dwelling place of God. David decided, as king, to bring the Ark to Dab's home. And so he had prepared a tent so that when the ark arrived, then they could place it in this special tent. So this is where our story begins. So let's look at Second Samuel 6, beginning with verse 1. It says this, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him, 30,000 people going to retrieve the ark, from Baal, Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim, <clears throat> on the ark. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, which is Uzzah's brother, by the way, the sons of Abinadab were driving the new cart with the ark of God upon it, and Ahio went before the ark. So David goes with 30,000 men to retrieve the ark. Now here's the first problem we see, is that David commissioned the building of a brand new cart upon which they could transport the ark. So it might be that David said, <clears throat> we're going to build a limousine for God to dwell in because he deserves the best. He deserves a limousine it may have sounded like a good idea. <clears throat> as a matter of fact, it would appear as though it exhibited a great effort to honor God. It would be far more difficult, take far more time to build this new cart. The problem with that is the ark was never to be placed on anything to be transported. It was to be carried. Okay, so Numbers 329 through 31 says this, the clans of the sons of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle with <clears throat> Elazaphan, or Elazaphan, the son of Ezael, as chief of the father's house of the clans of the Kohathites, and their guard duty involved the ark. Now, the reason I'm reading this is this is where we begin to understand it should never have been on a cart. Their duties involved the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the vessels of the sanctuary with which the priests minister, and the screen 
uh, of all the service connected with these. Now, this was this clan's responsibility, the very intricate, detailed, personal parts of the ark and the worship. Numbers 4.15, And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sets out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to what? To carry these. They had it all set up and everything else was done. And then they called in the sons of Kohath. And their responsibility was to take the lampstands, the coverings, the ark, and the very personal things of God to carry these. Now, these are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. But he said this, but they must not touch the holy things lest they die. Numbers 4.27, real quickly, all the service of the sons of the Gershonites shall be at the command of Aaron and his sons in all that they are to carry and in all they have to do. Came down through the, from the Levites, priests, to these clans. God divided these things out. Said, it's like we do when we build a house today. You have uh, the masons. You have the framers. You have the roofers, electricians, the plumbers. And they specialize in these things. But this was about worship. So we see here that David disobeyed the law of God and there would be a catastrophic consequence. How much better this may have played out had David understood or remembered that the only way to truly honor God is through what? Obedience. It is better to obey than to sacrifice. So David says, I'm going to build a limousine. It's going to be glorious because we're going to put the ark on that limousine. And God says, I want you to obey me. I don't care about the limousine. I don't care what people think right now about how I get there other than you respect me enough to do as I say. I wonder how many ministries were founded upon a misplaced desire to honor God with their dreams. Has that happened? It has happened. It's come close to happening here. And in reality, they honored their founder instead of God. Perhaps the question should be, Lord, what would you like to do through me today for your glory? What church do you want, Lord? What do you want to build? So we go to 2 Samuel 6, 5, and it says this, And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. You mean they had drums in the worship team? That's just not right. God loves what? A joyful noise. I've heard some of you sing. You've heard me sing. I'm glad God likes a joyful noise. Second Samuel 6, 6 says this, And when they came to the threshing floor, and Nakon, Uzzah, or Uzzah, put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For when the oxen stumbled and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of of God. Now, I've read this scripture and I thought, that seems a bit harsh. 
It's been in these people's house for how long? They never touched it then, evidently. And now it's on this, <clears throat> this cart, and the oxen who, who are, that are not sure-footed come into the thrashing floor, the thrashing floor, and there's un- some, something uneven, and the oxen stumble, <clears throat> and the ark begins to shift a little bit. Number one, it never said that it would fall. And here is this guy that's been in the presence of the ark of God, maybe for years, in his house, and he reaches up to steady it. And it said, the anger of God was kindled due to his error, and he struck him dead. Let's look at the details here. First detail. Uzzah had been in the presence of the ark for a long time. It had been in his home. He knew very well that to touch the ark meant certain death. Why? Because the ark was holy. That's, That's why he died. He tried to touch God. Not just special, but holy. Touching the ark, which he obviously had never done before in this day, was the equivalent of a mortal and sinful man touching God. Our holy God. That's the first thing we can draw from this story. The second thing is this. He disobeyed God. And can I remind you that no sin ever goes unpunished. Even the sins you commit today... As believers, they never go unpunished. How does that work? Who takes the punishment? Jesus. Every sin is still punished. It's just that Christ has taken those sins upon himself. If you are a believer, your sins fall upon the suffering Jesus Christ. If you are not a believer, you will pay for every sin on the day of judgment. Every single sin and every thought that preceded that sin. The wages of sin is death. Number three, I personally believe, and this is nowhere in the scripture, it's not spelled out. But I personally believe that there may have been some degree of pride in Uzzah. Maybe some arrogance. He was going to be the one to keep God holy by not letting the ark touch the ground. You know, men, I'll just talk to the men here. We are just that close to believing that everything we do that turns out well is because of us. We're just that close. We're that close to falling into the same trap of Judas. We are that close. Pride is an amazingly powerful and deceptive thing. And it may have been the Uzzah, I'm going to save. 30,000 men went with David, plus who was there. This is a big parade. Consider this, R.C. Sproul makes this point. He asks the question, would God have been more sullied if the ark had touched the ground or if a sinful man had touched the ark? Hmm. I believe this to be a valid point. The dirt does not contain sin. The dirt is a mindless participant in this story. In other words, the dirt had no motive, nor could it contaminate the presence of God with sin. It was only a person 
who would have drawn this type of punishment. Had the, had the ark fallen off the cart and onto the ground, God would not have been affected because there's no sin in these inanimate objects. There's no sin in the flowers and animals. They've fallen because of sin. Here's David's response to this event, by the way. Verse 8, And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez, which means breaking out Uzzah to this day. However, look at what was accomplished in David through God's swift action. Now, did David learn his lesson? He did. And it gets kind of exciting in here. He did learn his lesson. But because God struck Uzzah dead, said David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Very next verse. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. Why wasn't he afraid of the Lord the day before? Or the day before that? Or the day before that? Same reason we're not afraid of the Lord anymore. He hasn't smacked us. He hasn't stunned us. He's a good God. He's a good father. But David was angry. But following that anger, David had an amazing amazing awakening of, oh, and I've, I can almost guarantee you, instead of running up to Uzzah, he went like this, as well as everyone else. When God displays His discipline and His power openly like that, it really gets our attention. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. He learned something there. I'm not touching the thing. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months until David could figure this thing out. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his household. See, when righteousness is in your presence and you belong to God and you're obedient, it's blessed. It's a blessing, is it not? So there was a renewed respect and holy fear of God because of this. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Now, did he learn his lesson? Did he pull the limousine back out? Okay, let's load it back up. Okay, the way they used to do this, so you had poles running through the side. Much like we would say is a coffin with handles that come up, but they had poles. Otherwise, they couldn't have gotten it on the cart to begin with. And so, did David learn his lesson? Verse 13, And when those who bore or carried the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, 
He sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. He learned his lesson. His fear, meaning respect, was renewed in God. How about ours? So here's David's response. His response was repentance. David was famous for repentance. There was a difference between him and Saul. Saul regretted what he had done to the point of tears. David repented from what he had done to the point of tears. Big difference. Salvation, no salvation. And when those who bore carried up the ark, God, uh, David had repented... And what brings repentance? What was it that brought David to a point of repentance? And that was an understanding of the holiness of God. He understood the holiness of God. He was reminded. And what does repentance lead to? Well, we read the result of David's repentance in First Chronicles 16. It's on your scripture sheet. Beginning with verse 1, it said, They brought in the ark of God and placed it inside the tent which David had pitched for it, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. When David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. He distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread and a portion of meat and a raisin cake. And then we read this in verse 4. He appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord, even for what purpose to celebrate and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. He appointed some to thank God. He appointed some by name, we will find out later, to be thankers, of God. Why? Because it's part of the worship. So look at this. The priest, in verse uh, in verse 5, he names all the, all the musicians. I didn't put verse 5 in there because I couldn't pronounce the names anyway. Verse 6, the priests blew trumpets continually. Where? Before the ark of the covenant of God. Not in the assembly of the people, that's not what they were appointed to do. They were not appointed to be a worship team. They were appointed to praise God in the presence of God. Puts a little, maybe a different light on worship, right? Here's the question, God. Is what we present to your children presentable to you? And for our little worship team, I think sometimes we hit the mark and sometimes we don't. But we try. But look at this. He appointed men to celebrate and to thank and praise the Lord God and for the musicians to, to play the priests through the trumpets continually before the Ark of the Covenant of God, not with 30,000 people looking on. And it gets even better. Verse 7, Then on that day, David first assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord. To give thanks to the Lord. Asaph and his relatives. 
It says, here's your ministry. You are to thank and praise God. We learn in verse 8 that they were instructed to do three things in that process. Let's look at verse 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples. First thing they were to do is give thanks. Second thing they were to do was to call upon His name. And then finally, to make known His deeds among peoples. This is the appropriate thanks. To call upon His name, to give thanks, and to trumpet what He has done for His people. Now, later in this same chapter, he gives further instruction. First Chronicles 16.34 says, Give thanks to the Lord. Let's ask why. It answers it next. For He is good, and His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. David, why should I give thanks to the Lord? Because He's good. And His love endures forever. First Chronicles 16.35, And they say, Save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather us and deliver us from the nations. Now, why are we told, why were they told to make that plea? It answers, it says, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Why are we to ask for salvation so we can give thanks in your holy name? We read even more, First Chronicles sixteen forty one. With them were Haman and Jeduthun and the rest who were chosen, who were designated by name. So here's two in the Bible, their names to live forever. With them were Haman and Jeduthun and the rest who were chosen, who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord. So we see it again. For what were they designated? To give thanks to the Lord. For for what should they be thankful? And the Scripture tells us, for His steadfast love endures forever. Chronicles 23.30, They are to stand every morning to thank and to praise the Lord, and likewise at evening. What are they to do? They're to stand. We've been asking you to stand a whole lot more on our worship service. And part of it is because I think it's, a, it's an example here. So there are the people who are leading worship. Where are they leading worship? Before God. And how are they to present themselves? They're to stand. They did it every morning and likewise in the evening. So family, <clears throat> there are many lessons that we can learn from these scriptures this morning. And they are lessons in obedience, humility, the holiness of God Almighty, the judgment of God, the grace of God, and repentance. All of that is here. From the time David took 30,000 men and built a new cart, disobeyed God, and another man died as a result of that. Now, that man sinned, and that's why it pointed out, because of his error, God struck him dead. Not because of David's error. Because of his error. But David made that decision. David saw this, and he was humbled. And he was fearful in all the right ways. And God responded to that.
What struck me the most was the intentionality with which God demands thankfulness, though. From whom? From the world? Can I ask you a question? Why do we get angry when the world act like when the world acts like heathens? I know a lot of Christians that act like heathens, and don't watch me too closely, by the way. How many of you sinned this week? I'll wait. Of course we did. Of course we did. How many of you repented this week? I'm not, I don't, don't, don't put those hands up. You can if you want to. That's between you and God. But repentance should follow. Of course we sin. There's a difference between teaching our children to be polite and say thank you and instilling within them that our holy God is worthy of their thankfulness. And by the way, many adults have not learned that either. You know, we have a little eight-year-old guy running around our home. We don't know who he belongs to. He just showed up one day, so we took him in. <laughs> and his mom came with him. We have this little guy in our home, eight years old. Uh, it's, it's, you know, these are really exciting ages. Exciting. And uh, he's still... You know, he still believes that we know what we're talking about. He's not here today. So this is a secret. But we don't know what we're talking about sometimes. <laughs> you know, we're just looking at something where that doesn't look right right there. And so don't do that. But really, shouldn't we be a little deeper than that? Shouldn't we be saying, look, I'm, you have to learn to say please and thank you. It's polite. It's civility. Boy, I wish we had more of that. But it's civility. And that's good. But if you're not learning to be thankful, it's just all a veneer. True thankfulness for anyone is born only from an awareness that something has been sacrificed for their sake. True thankfulness for anyone is only when there is born. Thankfulness is born only when they have been aware that something has been sacrificed for their sake and that that something was given at a great price. This scripture comes to mind. John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You know, it's not the same type of thankfulness that we express to someone who holds a door open for us as it would be for someone who risked their life for us, right? And by the way, ladies, I hope men just open door after door after door after door for you because that is one way of us saying we respect you. Don't be frustrated. I don't think any, any lady in this room is frustrated when a man opens a door for them. But it's a small thing. Thank you. Thank you. That's expected. That's expected. And when it isn't given, it does not speak as highly of you as you would like. But it's not the same thankfulness that we express for someone who holds the door, for someone who risked their life for us. Door is open. Thank you. You walk in. Someone pushes you out of the way of a car at their own risk. That's different. That's different. 
I would go so far as to say it would be striking to witness a powerful, wealthy, respected person jump in front of a train to save a drug addict or a child molester. Wouldn't that be amazing? Someone who can choose not to be touched, can choose to be insulated from anyone they desire. And when push comes to shove, literally, the man or the woman who can choose to be insulated sacrifices all, regardless of the, of the condition of the person that they're trying to save. That's even more in our minds and hearts. That's astounding. We might even say that the act of courage is out of balance. The life that was sacrificed was worth far more than the life that was saved. Was it really worth it? And that's how our society looks at things. And yet for each one of us here this morning, a great sacrificial act has already taken place. And it is more confounding the more you think about it. Not only has someone of great integrity and wealth and courage and kindness sacrificed his life for you, but this person is also sinless. He is holy. And he is unreachable for you, but for the grace and mercy of his Father. Jesus has not only died in your place, but he took your sin, your addictions, your anger, your lust, your selfishness, your pride, your hatred. He took all of those upon himself. And not only that, but his father punished him for all of those things that we have done that he took upon himself. That's stunning. Have you ever read in the scriptures what the wrath of God looks like? Read Revelation. That's what the wrath of God looks like. You know who took the wrath for us? The wrath of God. You know, you know how much God hates sin? He placed his wrath upon his son so we would not experience it. How thankful are you? You see, until we fully understand the holiness of God, the perfection, the power, the might, the justice, we cannot fully be thankful for the sacrifice He made for us. Just a few more scriptures. They're very brief. I'm going to read these and not comment on them. Because we've been we spent this time in the Old Testament. I want to read this to you. First Thessalonians five eighteen, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. Now that's easy. Why do you say thank you to God? Because it's God's will that I thank him. In Christ. Colossians three fifteen, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, you know this one, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, through Christ. 
Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request before God. Two more, Psalm 95, 2 and 3. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and there we extol Him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. For the Lord is a great God, the King above... What did we sing this morning? For the Lord is a great God, the King above all gods. It's scripture. Second Corinthians 4, 15. All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause what? Thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Now get this. Not ministry to overflow. We have a lot of ministries in the world. But so thanksgiving would overflow to the glory of God. For what purpose? For God's glory. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So what I've learned and continue to relearn, it's not a word, I guess, that if we are living in a state of thankfulness, it is really difficult to be grumpy. It's difficult to be angry. It's difficult to be content in our sin. Because sin is the enemy of our God. To be thankful demands that we continue to recognize the steadfastness, steadfastness and holiness of God. How do you continue to remember the holiness of God? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Psalms, Isaiah. Just read the Bible. God loves talking about himself. And it's appropriate. It's the only one that's appropriate for. God talks about himself a lot. For our benefit. And for our sake. So Lord, this is our prayer this morning. Father, we just ask you that if there's anyone in our midst that does not know you, if there's anyone in our midst, God, that is struggling or fighting, that you would just um, make yourself known to them. You would minister to them. And God, especially if there are people in our midst that have not received you, they've learned about you, they've studied about you, they've been in this church for years, but they know They are one more step away. Father, just give them the courage to take that step and receive you. And Lord, we trust you and we praise you because you alone are worthy of our praise. May what we do, what we sing, and what we say bring glory to you and you alone. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray. Amen. So we begin with thanksgiving. This morning, and we're going to end with Christmas. And by the way, if anyone would like to pray following the service, love to pray with you. Feel free to come forward.
So we're going to stand and sing, okay?